The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast hi everybody you are listening to judging Megan with your host Megan judge um so I'm gonna start out this podcast my poor guest I think already thinks I'm totally flaky but I've really kind of had a morning um (laughs) she's shaking her head um so Today is my, I lost my best friend, Jess, to, to a really horrific, um, accident 20 years ago today. And, um, she, I, my audience knows that it, I talk about Julie all the time. I talked about her on the last podcast. I thought that would last podcast would be out in April, but I was talking about it, uh, the last podcast. So today I'm kind of like in a, in a weird space. And I even considered maybe I shouldn't record, but for some reason, sometimes I'm drawn to people and my guests today, I'm definitely drawn to, and I find her really inspiring. And I thought about Julie this morning on my walk. We're both South Bay moms, Jessica and I. So, um, I felt like I should probably have her on. Maybe she can talk me down, but I will tell you something that happened that my audience might appreciate. So um, I am a total hothead and I, and most of my listeners know that, and I'm Irish and Italian and I've gotten myself into some hot water in my adult life and throughout my whole life, to be honest. And the the book, the chapter that I just come, had come out called Her Badass Story, um, I talk about how I kind of like snapped and I was at this party and I called this girl an effing loser and all these moms that I thought were my friends for years like turned and like never spoke to me again and I couldn't even go to Target because people would turn the opposite direction and it was like horrific and the community where we live in, there's a lot of like older mean girl moms. And I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but um, it took me down like the worst path. And so I think of where I am today 
And so I'm walking today and this is kind of funny. And honestly, like if you know me, you'll, uh, you'll either think, oh, she's a cuckoo bird or this is funny. And so Megan, so I'm walking, I'm thinking about Julie. I was trying to enjoy my morning. I sometimes talk to her when I'm thinking about her in my head and the girl that like wronged me, like with my ex best friend, whatever, who I can't stand walks by me and she just tries to mess with me. And she goes, good morning. And we're on like this wood chip path, like side by side. And she just caught me on like the worst day. And I literally excuse my language listeners, but I literally said, go fuck off. <laughs> I kept walking. <laughs> and honestly, like, I hope you still want to be a guest on my podcast, Jessica. But I just like, I like thought about it afterwards. And I'm like, why did I just do that? Like, I'm just making things worse for myself. But then I thought about it too. And I'm like, someday when I'm old, I'm going to think I was like, really funny. And I'm never going to be ashamed of who I am. And that I stand up for myself for the rest of my life. Like, I hope my daughters are the same way. Like, I know a lot of people would be like, why did you do that? Like, what's wrong with them? You, you, you're giving them power. But I don't know. I'm actually taking my power back, to be honest with you, because many times when they try and mess with me or say hi or whatever, they know I can't stand them. I openly wrote a chapter about it, but I usually just ignore them and I walk like the opposite direction. But today I just was like, you know what? Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me today. Jessica Pate, welcome to my podcast. Um, <laughs> um, I warned you. What a way I was to like, start, well, Megan. <laughs> um, I would love to, first of all, like, tell me what you think about me. You want to break this down and tell me if I'm a cuckoo bird and maybe like, I don't know. I would love your thoughts, though. I know I just met you and I'm, I hope I didn't terrify you. <laughs> No, you didn't terrify me. I mean, there's more to the story, right? There's more that I don't really know. I don't really know the backstory and exactly yeah, what happened. Yeah. So it's hard for me to fully comment, you know, but obviously you were hurt. Obviously it's a group yeah. that doesn't feel safe. And so if you see somebody from that group, it's going to push. It's like triggers. Buttons yeah. And you're I just was like, wall. I guess what it is. Mm -hmm. And I hate to like yeah. bring you in. Cause obviously you don't know these women or know the whole story, but like, I don't know. I just felt like why of all days, you know, like just go away. Like I just need to be, you know, I know that you've recently gone through some hard things and you're grieving and, and I will tell you, and I let, and I talk a lot about the grieving process and loss on this podcast for, for me, grief is like, it's never going to go away. And I hate, right. and I hate to say that because. Oh no, it's true. It's true. In some ways, like if somebody is newly going through a loss, it's hard to hear that, but grief turns into like different things. It's a whole process, like they say, and it doesn't like last a year or two years. If you truly like loved somebody and this person was like your world, like my best friend was, then I will like walk the rest of my days for on this planet. Like, like my heart is broken, you know? And so like, that's what I kind of want to, I mean, I hate that I started out this podcast and met you this way, but, um, <laughs> I want my listeners to know that that happened. And sometimes I stumble and I'm not perfect. And 
I do, I say dumb things and I do dumb things and I mess up, but I kind of like, like myself and I like that I did that. And honestly, I think Julie's like with me today and she's looking down and she's like probably laughing. (laughs) So let's start there. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to judging Megan. Uh, welcome, Jessica, to the podcast. Uh, Jessica is a fellow podcaster. She is the founder of We Are Brave Together. And I am so honored to have you on the podcast today. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate this opportunity just to share anything. I'm open to anything today. Well, I would love to start because we were neighbors and we have a mutual friend and my dear friend, Mitzi, who I adore, who's in Japan right now. Yes. And, um, and she's just the most wonderful girl on the planet. She does not have a mean bone in her body and has like stuck with me through thick and thin Mm -hmm. in our friendship of over a decade. Um, but I, I, so I'm grateful that that's kind of how we connected. I think I found you through Mitzi. Yes. I would love to kind of, I always start the podcast with, I want to know all about you. So tell me about where you're from, mm-hmm. a little bit about your life, and like we'll get to why, what we're going to talk about. Okay. So I, I grew up kind of in a Brady Bunch on steroids family uh, with, mm-hmm. Uh, parents who had kids before, married before, had kids before, found each other, had my sister and I, and then split again. And I have um, a stepbrother and a stepsister. When you compile us all together, there are 10. But it's, you know, always been split up my whole life into my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family. And the two sides are different and beautiful and unique. And growing up, it was hard because I felt so strange. I grew up going to Catholic school. My father is Jewish. My mom was a single mom. And anytime anybody said, well, oh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I would say, can I draw you a diagram? And do you have 15 minutes so I can explain the whole thing? So I grew up feeling very (laughs) different. And I just wanted to be a normal nuclear family. And, you know, I didn't appreciate it. Where are you from? I grew up in Los Alamitos. I grew up born in LA, but but grew up in right on the border of Orange County. Yeah. Okay. Um, So how many, how extended was the the nuclear family? How many kids? 10. There were 10 total, but we were not 10 altogether because, you know, of the sort of the order of events. So, um, my parents didn't last very long, so I was three when they split. And then my sister, Jennifer, and I, who were same parents, so my one full sister, we would go to my dad's house every other weekend. And whatever siblings were 
around or available on his side might participate or might participate in, you know, a ski trip once a year growing up. So it was rare that we were all together unless it was like a big holiday. Yeah. Was was it hap- a happy household or was it difficult? Um, I think it was a happy household because my parents weren't together and fighting. So, you know, sometimes yeah. it's better to be apart when the difficulties and differences are just too, too big or too strong or what have you. So, um, yeah, it was just, you know, my mom's side and experiencing siblings on that side. And then my dad's side experiencing mm-hmm. siblings and extended family on that side. I had wonderful grandparents on both sides that were definitely anchoring, um, and, you know, fast forward to this day, I have a really nice relationship with with all my different siblings. Some I'm very, very close to and some, you know, we chat every now and again, but we're all just part of this big, strange, beautiful story. <laughs> I love that. That's really cool. And, and you know, like I, I talk about a lot with guests that have gone through divorce or their children of divorce, like the trauma of divorce that people don't really um think of it as trauma sure. and i do think it's trauma it because you're kind of especially when you're 3 years old mm-hmm. that's really young mm-hmm. and you're kind of like being torn out of a situation and kind of like plopped into another situation right it's difficult mm-hmm. it's a ca- kind of a difficult thing to go through and carry um how tell me once you like when did you decide to move to the south bay i know i'm skipping ahead but oh, like okay. tell me a little bit about your life and where you are today. Um, so, well, I met a boy. Um, mm-hmm. In college? Um, like, after college. Me. I was living at home after college and working and was set up on a blind date with, um, I say my, well, ex-boyfriend. I'll just say ex-boyfriend. And, um, and that's how I got introduced to the South Bay was because he lived here. And then I met some great friends. And even though he and I didn't last those friendships lasted. And so we all moved in together. When I was 24, I was so happy to move out and be on my own. And so that's how I landed in the South Bay. And, and right around that time too, is when I met my husband, Chris. So you've been together a long time. You married young. Yes. Yeah. Because you look like a baby. You look very, very young. Thank you. Well, no, you do. You're gorge. Go to YouTube, everyone and check out Jess. Oh my gosh. Um, oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, we got married, so, I mean, young, we were in our twenties and we've been yeah. married almost 26 years. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. My husband and I have been together for 23. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. Tw- 20, what married though? Like, I, oh my God, how long have I been married? I think 13. Okay. 13 oh, or four. Okay. Anyway. That's so great. Um, so tell me, like, tell me about why, and I hate to skip ahead and kind of like cut stuff out, but for the sake of time, sure. I think it's really important what you do. And I would love to hear about your, or, your organization. And obviously you've been married for quite a long time. You had the, like, for my listeners that are either new to the podcast, or I have talked about what the South Bay is. And I feel like sometimes I forget to talk about it because I talk, oh, the South Bay. It's Los Angeles. We we live on the outskirts from in between LA and Orange County. And what this area is called, it's like a kind of a like a bunch of beach towns. So like Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, and everybody calls it the bubble. 
because people that live here don't ever leave. And it's very much like a small town, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like the small town feeling, but we're, we forget that we're in Los Angeles. Right. So I like to remind people when I say the South Bay, that's what it means. Mm-hmm. But it is a very ideal, beautiful place to live. Mm-hmm. It's a great place with some, some issues that I might've addressed in the beginning. Um, but overall, just a really nice place to raise your kids. And there's fantastic families and really good schools in this area. So, um, I, it, when you talk about like, you got married, you landed here, you had the whole like twenties, like South Bay experience Mm -hmm. of partying probably at Sharky's and all the bars here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell me you had children and then let's kind of go into that piece of it. Sure. So, um, yeah, when we first got married, we lived in Manhattan Beach for five years and then um, wanted to buy a house. So it was, you know, because we're concerned about school districts, you know, um, and Chris grew up in Palos Verdes. So we ended up choosing to be five minutes from his parents, which was wonderful, wonderful blessing. And I married into the best family. And, um, and then we ended up having three kids. Um, Luke is now 22. Ryan is 19 and Kate is 17. And Ryan is my son who was born with a rare genetic disorder. It's called Prader-Willi syndrome. And it's okay if you've never heard of it because nobody has. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, because I have done an episode with Mitzi Mm -hmm. and, And I know her experience with the diagnosis of her son, Jack, Mm -hmm. of Fragile X. And I think, and I'll talk to you about this, but for your first pregnancy, we take, we take for granted, right? Mm -hmm. That you're like, oh, I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to have a healthy child. Um, All the things that we dream for our kids. And then a lot of times with some of these diagnoses, it takes a while to figure out. And I miss, I would love to know what the disease is, sure, number one, sure. and like what your experiences were and how you found out what he had. Thank you. Um, I had a normal healthy pregnancy with Luke and delivery. And then with Ryan, I had a normal healthy pregnancy. Um, I remember there were a few times when I thought, did he move today? But, you know, second time pregnancy, you're not paying attention to every single thing like you are first time around. Um, but when he was born, he couldn't suck and he couldn't cry and he could hardly move. And so we spent mm-hmm. a month in the hospital not knowing what was wrong. And so I got just... So let me let me correct my, my myself and my listeners. Sure. It was your second pregnancy. It was my second. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So your first pregnancy, normal, yes. like you went through the whole thing, had the baby, then it was the second pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So you had already been pregnant and known like all like right. the different. Okay. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. So, um, so yeah, I got discharged and Ryan got transferred to Peds. So I lived on the Peds ward of little company of Mary hospital, uh, for a month. Thankfully we were a somehow miraculously, we got our own room with an, with a bathroom. <laughs> so it was very private. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just, I had no idea. I had no idea what was going on. Um, my husband was looking things up. This was before smartphones. So I had a flip phone in the hospital back in 2003. And so I didn't, I didn't look up anything and I didn't want to torture myself. The couple nights that I did go home and sleep at home, I didn't look up anything because I, 
I didn't want to fill my head with a bunch of what ifs because I knew it wasn't going to help me right in that moment. And so, but my husband was looking up symptoms. So Ryan was um, diagnosed with failure to thrive. So when you don't cry for food, when you don't wake up for food, when you cannot feed, uh, it's called failure to thrive. And he just slept a lot. He never cried. In fact, Ryan didn't cry his whole first year of life. Um, and, and he looked up, his testicles were undescended, which, you know, for that to happen for one is kind of normal, but for both is unusual. And so he looked that up and, um, and then they use this medical term called hypotonia, which just means low muscle tone. You have less muscle and the, the muscles ability to activate is, is not there or hardly there. So, you know, we had an OT that came in, I think, day three and, and pointed out everything that Ryan should be doing but wasn't doing and like all the details. And, you know, to suck and to nurse or even take from a bottle, there's a thousand things that go on with your mouth, your tongue, your jaw, your lips, everything to make sucking work. And he could not do it at all. So she started working with us and teaching us exercises to wake up his mouth. And they were doing tube feedings with my breast mm-hmm. milk and calorie rich formula, hoping mm-hmm. that he would just gain some calories, gain some weight and maybe kind of wake up. But that didn't happen. And so um, my husband found prader willi syndrome online when he looked up the symptoms and he said, will you test for it? And of course, there were few doctors that said, well, he doesn't look like it because there is a look, not as significant as Down syndrome, but there is a look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my husband's a test anyways, because we don't have any answers. And this is a blood test. It's not super invasive. Why not? So needless to say, we did get our diagnosis when Ryan was five weeks old, which is very early, even considering the technology at the time, almost 20 years ago, um, we were very lucky to get an early diagnosis. And so that then set us on a path for treatment for the right doctors and to get the right support and education that we needed, thankfully. I've never heard of this syndrome. Mm-hmm. And and I think most people haven't. Right. So right. correct. Yeah, is most people haven't. Very, it's very rare. Is, it's very it's rare. It's very rare. What are what are some of the statistics on like what do you know why it causes an is this an extra chromosome what causes it so it's just a fluke that happens at conception okay. it's not genetically inherited it's not something that's passed down because kids with the syndrome don't usually end up having kids um mm-hmm. it's just a fluke chromosome 15 is affected there's four genetic subtypes there's no point explaining that but um mm-hmm. what the symptoms are is when babies are born they're born with low muscle tone and it's a spectrum so Ryan was pretty severe um the average in PWS is that you sit up at 1 walk at 2 Ryan didn't walk till he was 3 even having been on growth hormones since he was 10 weeks old growth hormone shots every single day because it's it's specifically indicated for PWS um, he still didn't walk till he was three, which just tells you he was very severely low tone. Um, mm-hmm. Right away, you're focused on milestones. So occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy all started when Ryan was an infant. And um, those interventions lasted all the way through most of his school years. I think 
even now, he's in the transition program of our school district and he's still getting a little bit of speech therapy, but has moved on from the others. Not that he probably wouldn't benefit from physical therapy at this point or occupational therapy, but um, anyway, so the early years you're focused on the milestones and um, mm -hmm. academically, cognitively, you're impacted as well. And it's a spectrum. Um, behaviors and anxiety are also a part of PWS. But if it somehow makes the news, it's because there is an insatiable food drive that kicks in in childhood. So the brain and the body do not tell you that you are full or that you've had any food. So some people say their kid is hungry all the time. Some people will say, my kid just doesn't feel full. And that's that leads to food-seeking behavior that is life-threatening. So we lived with a lot. Okay, let, yeah. let me ask you a question. Sure. Going back a little bit, what was that like to get the diagnosis? Was it like obviously very upsetting, yeah. but was it also like, okay, now I have some answers and like, this is what we're going to do. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was both. And, um, I'll never forget that night. Our, we had a wonderful pediatrician who called us to tell us the news and I can take myself back to that moment. Like I can feel it, you know, even today, almost mm -hmm. 20 years later. And I just, I scooped up Ryan. He was asleep on my bed and I just scooped him up and I said, I will always take care of you. I will always take care of you. I will always take care of you. So it was heartbreaking. It was great to get an answer, but it's heartbreaking because then you read about it and it's scary and it's shocking and it's strange. The mix of symptoms and you immediately start to do the what ifs. How is this going to play out? How is this going to affect Luke? who was two and a half mm -hmm. at the time. I mean, there's so much fear and worry and what ifs. Can I handle this? It's just, there's a mix of emotions. And thankfully I have a great husband and he, from the beginning was all in. So, you know, he's the one who essentially diagnosed Ryan and he's the one who reached out to the Prader-Willi syndrome organizations right away and I got a phone call within a few days and um, I call it the Lisa phone call. And she called to tell me that she was going to be my mentor mom. And then I didn't have to walk alone and that her son was about five years older than Ryan and she had experience and she was going to be there for me and I could call her anytime. I could ask her anything. And the big, beautiful bonus is that she lived in the South Bay. So I had somebody right here that I could actually reach out to. And, um, that was a huge relief. That's crazy. Yeah. That's like one of those things in life where you're like, there's no coincidences, right? right? No. Yeah, I agree. No, I really believe that. And, and I just had to ask you that because I, I think the, that many people don't, if you have some kind of, um, diagnosis, and you're pregnant, for example, I went through something and I don't really talk about it on the podcast, but I will say that I had a loss and, um, and my baby was diagnosed with something and I don't want to go into like what it was, but, mm -hmm. um, I remember knowing and hearing 
the doctor tell me. Um, and it was, I'll never forget that moment. I'm emotional because I'm thinking of you, but I'm also thinking of what it was like to hear the news. Um, and so my heart goes out to you and to like other mothers that deal with this stuff because you're freaking tough cookies, <laughs> you know, um, Thank you. I think of my friend Mitzi mm-hmm. and I hate bringing up Mitzi a lot. So Mitzi, you better listen to this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to make you, um, she would not give up mm-hmm. on getting answers and getting a diagnosis. And, and now, you know, fragile X is also a syndrome and mm-hmm. pretty rare. Um, probably yours is way more rare because I've never heard of it, but, mm-hmm. um, now I'm sure there's a lot of people, but the whole network system thing that you just brought up is so important, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you mm-hmm. didn't have that, then it's like, you are not only dealing with what do I do? What is this thing? And what, where do I go? Who do I talk to? But now it's like you have other people that can help give you answers. And I don't, like I said, I don't believe in coincidences. Mm-hmm. I think everything happens for a reason. So mm-hmm. once you were matched up with Lisa, mm-hmm. then were you tell me about like coming home and all of that stuff? Like, was that the first years? I would love to know that how that went. Yeah. Well, we jumped into our first support groups when Ryan was two months old, frankly, because we were scared to death. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know what we were doing. And so from there, we met families that we are still friends with to this day. And we just went to conferences and we went to support groups and we created social time with these other couples or the moms would get together. Um, we, we wouldn't often get together with our kids and even still to this day because of the food piece, it makes it so difficult because there are different levels of anxiety surrounding food. And so to do a get together and a party with food out is horrible mm-hmm. in PWS world. So we generally get together Can without our kids. Can you explain that food piece a little yeah, bit more? Sorry absolutely. to talk over you because I think you started and then my big mouth interrupted you. Um, what sure. exactly happens with the food piece so that they don't, they can't control their, their brains to know when their stomachs are full. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D 
see at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. So there's no, yeah, so they don't have any feeling of satiation, right? They don't feel full. They don't feel satisfied. Okay. So, you know, we were, because of Ryan's early diagnosis, we knew to have him on a food schedule and we knew that we needed to be careful about portions. We, we knew not to do seconds. We knew that you needed to plate the food in the kitchen, that you don't do family style. And, um, we just adopted all those practices from the very, very beginning and didn't waver. Mm -hmm. Um, and then at some point you have to lock your kitchen because the food drive becomes scary and kids, no matter how well they may be trained and followed and supervised and it doesn't matter, they will never be able to self-regulate. They'll never be able to say, oh, I had breakfast and snack is not till 930. Um, I won't touch the pantry. I won't touch the fridge. So we live with a locked kitchen. We didn't have to do it till Ryan was 13, which was pretty shocking. I thought by the time he was five or six that that other shoe would drop mm-hmm. and we would have to start living with a locked kitchen. But it lasted until he was 13. And then by the time he was 16, we had to be extremely vigilant, meaning do not leave anything open for a second because he's paying attention to who's not paying attention and where everybody is. And he's going to go and take something out of the fridge or the pantry when no one's looking. So there's a vigilance with which I live. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I go and check the kitchen because I am not the last one to go to bed. So I go and check and make sure that the kitchen is locked. And we just have everything, either fridge or the pantry. That's it. There's nothing in the freezer, nothing in our outdoor. We have a, a a fridge in the garage, there's nothing in the freezer there, rarely ever, because it's it's too difficult to lock. And that fridge is locked. And the kids know, we've, we've given Luke and Kate locks for their doors, but we've also told them not to put food, gum, or candy in their rooms, because the moment that they forget to lock their room, Ryan will go plundering and pillaging through their rooms to find something. So everyone's trained, everyone's on board. I remember distinctly thinking just like the dread, like, oh my gosh, we have to lock the kitchen now when he was 13 and like having a family meeting and announcing, okay, it's time. We have to lock the kitchen. And you realize when a kitchen is locked that you open and shut things 10,000 times a day. And we're Mm -hmm. a family of five. So anyway, we're all used to it and we got used to it actually pretty quick. It sounds very exhausting. Yes, it it's hard it to like monitor that. What are what are some of the other symptoms uh, like that you that come come along with this? So um, there, it's a spectrum. So some kids are greatly impacted mm-hmm. cognitively. Some are less. Um, some have mobility issues um, way worse than Ryan. Um, and certainly, if you either get a late diagnosis or you find it very hard to control the diet and the food seeking behavior, um, your kid is going to become overweight. And then that, you know, has its own problems, diabetes, high blood Mm -hmm. pressure, that kind of thing. Um, 
Ryan is thin. He's always been thin. Um, he, I mean, typically you don't have, you have, well, typically you have low metabolism in PWS. And so you're on a very careful diet. I've never, you know, done gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free or any of that kind of thing. I haven't had to be that extreme, but I've been careful always. Um, but once mm -hmm. his growth hormone dose was lowered, we noticed a huge bump in his weight. He just filled out. He was always super, super skinny and like almost abnormally skinny. In fact, I had one teacher, I think in middle school say, are you feeding him enough? And I'm like, yes, I'm feeding him enough. Um, but he filled out a couple, maybe a year, year and a half ago, he filled out, like he got man thighs and he just, you know, got a little squish around his middle and he never, ever, ever had that. And it was a little bit panicky feeling because he had gained like 40 pounds in a year, which is really, that's significant for anyone, but in the PWS world, yeah. it can be dangerous because it's like a sack of potatoes on your chest. Um, so you're managing weight, you're keeping everything locked. We as a family don't go to restaurants with Ryan usually because he inhales his food and he gets very anxious in a restaurant because he knows the portions are way more than he should have. And so he's worried we're going to take his food, which we don't. When he was little, we would always split it in half. And at some point that became very hard to do. And, and so we don't. And we just don't go to restaurants because it's just too much food and his anxiety goes up. And we don't take family vacations anymore, the five of us, because pulling him out of his routine makes him very insecure about food, like we're not going to feed him. It's irrational. doesn't make sense. He's never missed a meal or a snack. I always plan ahead for everything. If we're going to be in the car with, you know, going to LA for a specialist visit and we're going to hit snack time, it's packed. It's in the car. So he's never missed anything, but taking him out of his routine makes him insecure about food. So we don't do family vacations with him. Plus, plus I spend so much time just managing the anxiety and the food security that it's just, it's not pleasant for everybody else. So it's, so it does anxiety is a big, is a big, big part of it as yes. well. Yes. It, and so if he was in, he went through school was he with, did it, was he with any other students with the same diagnosis? No, he has, there's never been another kid, I think, in, we're in Palos Verdes in our school district with Prader-Willi syndrome, to our knowledge. Um, and Ryan has always been in a special day class and he's always had a one-on-one -on -one with him. And that's what he's needed. What does it mean, like, to grow to grow up, like get older, what does he have to be constantly supervised? Is he going to have to have some kind of aid for his life? Like, mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about yes. that. Yeah. He'll always need somebody watching him 24 seven. Um, because let's say, even if I trained him to come home by himself after school and wait 45 minutes until the babysitter arrives and I'm at work, the kitchen is locked. The kitchen has to be locked. And so God forbid if something were to happen and that babysitter doesn't show, he doesn't have access to food or water. I mean, he has tap water, obviously, but he doesn't have access to food. And it's just not something that we can really, we can't teach him to be independent with the, with his diet and with his meals or his food schedule. Um, because of the food seeking behavior, he will always need somebody truly to watch him 
and look out for him because he won't learn to cook for himself. He will not learn to grocery shop for himself, even though for kids who are impacted as much as Ryan, that's, you know, life skills are heavily focused on in high school and in the transition program. But Ryan won't be in charge of his food ever. So he'll always have to have somebody looking out for him. And, you know, beyond his time in the school district, which when you are a kid with a disability that does not get a high school diploma, you stay in the school district until you're 22. And then after that, he'll participate in some sort of job or day program, a combination of both. And eventually we do talk about him living separately from us. And, um, but he'll always have to have that supervision no matter what. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about your organization. Why did you start it and how did that, tell me about that. Sure. Um, So I like to say that We Are Brave Together is born out of my heart for special needs families colliding with my passion for the friendship of women, my passion for community. And I'm a rare disease mom. I know what it's like to live this altered motherhood journey. I know the stress. I know the isolation. I know that burnout is a risk at every corner if you're not very careful to prevent it by engaging in self-care and soul care and asking for help and, you know, getting the respite that, that you need and also learning to trust people to step in and help you take care of your child. Um, I always say that connection and community saved me. If we didn't have the Prader-Willi syndrome community from the beginning, I, I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be here today. I think I'd be burned out, depressed, and anxious. And mm-hmm. I want all moms to have other moms who get it. I want all moms to have other moms who surround them with validation and support and care and remind them that they don't have to do this alone. I I believe that when women leave behind cattiness and competition and comparison, that the intersection of our lives is a gift. We have so much to give each other. We have so much strength and courage and bravery and love and compassion to offer each other when we leave all the junk behind. And so I thought, if I just create this huge community of moms, people can just show up. They don't have to create it for themselves. And so our mission is to combat the isolation and the burnout and the compassion fatigues, fatigue that caregiving moms face by offering support groups, whether it's virtual or in person, by offering educational workshops and offering low-cost retreats. And our organization covers most of the cost of attending a weekend away. And uh, we also offer scholarships because even though we might charge a little bit. There are still moms who say, I don't, I don't have that. And I want to give them access to a weekend off. Is this a national program or is it a just local? It is international. We um, represent all 50 states in 22 countries and uh, in our membership. And we have about 20 or 22 support group leaders. We call them connection circle leaders. Um, so we changed our name just because there are so many non-supportive support groups. So we call our, our groups connection circles, um, here in 2023. And we have, um, some very specific connection circles. And then we have some that are just by geography, 
by, by state or by country or by city. You really inspire me. I say a lot, um, put it like one of the most important things in life. I'm really spiritual is to use your pain and put it into purpose and living a purpose driven life. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, obviously we never know what's around the corner or like what we're going to encounter in our lives. Like we kind of think you're a young girl. We have dreams as little girls that one day we're going to get married and we're going to be living in this perfect house and we're going to have like two point, you know, like three kids or whatever <laughs> it is. And you don't really realize like each one of us in life is going to encounter some kind of hardship, whether it be loss, whether it be a diagnosis like what you went through with your son. But what you've done is really inspiring to me because I love meeting people. And that's the whole point of why I do this, to be honest with you, is I started my podcast so other people knew that it's okay to talk about our mental health and it's mm -hmm. okay to talk about our pain and it's okay to reach out to other mothers. There's a lot of great people in this world that just want to help and you're one of them. So I think that's really what you do oh, is really you. inspiring and amazing. If, if I thank have you. a listener that's listening right now, how do they reach out to get either themselves into your groups or tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So our, uh, we include every diagnosis, every struggle. So whether it's medical, whether it's straight mental health, if you have a child struggling with depression or anxiety, if you have a child that has a rare disease or something common, or you have a child who's struggling and you don't even have a diagnosis yet, you are welcome to be a part of We Are Brave Together. And you just go to our website, wearebravetogether.org. And you'll fill out the little pop-up form to join the community. You'll get on our email list. I promise we won't spam you. We'll send you, you know, all our offerings. Everything that we're offering is on our website. And um, we also have a podcast, Brave Together. And it's a library of inspirational stories and experts. And we're just trying to put out as much content that's free and accessible so that moms know that they're not alone and, and they can learn and they can grow and feel a little bit less isolated and overwhelmed. I love that. That's great. Not to take a sharp turn, but I will mm -hmm. because I, I know that I'm inspired by your story and everything you've been through, but I know that you've recently gone through a pretty, really hard loss. And you talked in the beginning about losing your sister mm -hmm. and I would love to know how you're doing mm. and if you're comfortable talking a little bit about that. I know it's very fresh. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Jennifer was, you know, half of my childhood. She and I grew up together with our mom in Los Alamitos. And even though I have other siblings, she was the one that I mainly grew up with. We we were 11 months apart and, you know, have a lot of great shenanigans and stories from our childhood and the things that, that we did that are really fun to reminisce about. Um, but we were so different from one another. We were, we were like oil and water. 
And um, I'm sure we drove my mom crazy with our fighting. Like, I just think, oh, what torture we probably put my mom through with our fighting. Um, And I loved her dearly, deeply. And she was, she was a, she was a hard person for me also. Um, We didn't have like a natural, easy connection. And I think um, part of that is we were born under very uh, difficult circumstances. My parents weren't married when we were born. My dad was not divorced and we were in secret. And so that's a very traumatic way to enter the world. And I think there was a trauma bonding that happened between us as siblings. And, and there was an intention, haven't even ever talked about this out loud like this, but there was an intention to have me so that my sister wouldn't grow up alone with all the older half siblings. And so there was an immediate expectation that I was there to be best friends with Jennifer and it didn't turn out that way. And so Mm -hmm. I grieve that she's gone, but I grieve our relationship. I grieve her life because she went through so many hard things and didn't take care of herself. She didn't go to therapy. She didn't hire a coach. She didn't read all the self-help books and listen to self-help, you know, well, podcasts, whatever. I mean, she just, she, she was a sweetheart. She was bubbly and generous and loving and compassionate. Um, but she didn't take care of herself at all. And, and she ended up dying prematurely. She, um, she was working from home cause she was sick and, all of a sudden stopped responding to phone calls from work and from clients, which was unusual. Even if she were sick, working from home, she would always respond. And after a few days, her boss made the executive decision to call the police to do a welfare check. And they found that she had passed away. And so we still don't know. Um, It could have been a stroke or a heart attack. It looked like it was something sudden. We know that she was sick, but I don't know exactly with what, because I don't think she went to the doctor and she was so sick that she even contemplated calling 911. Her One of her best friends told me, but she didn't. And then she passed away. So I'm so sorry. And I, and I think that you're very brave to like, you know, a lot of times when people are in the very, very beginning stages of grief, they don't, they, they're, they want to like glorify all the, like, this is how things were and things were perfect. And you know, this is, everything was great. And this person was amazing, but I think it's very brave and it shows like what kind of character and person you are that you can say it wasn't perfect. Like we were both, and I'm sorry to say this, but you obviously were both aces, you know, you had these adverse childhood experiences Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you had a great deal on your plate. Yeah. And you know, to be able to say in this very early stage of, of grieving somebody, what you just shared is, I think, pretty amazing and very self-aware. Thank you. And you should know that because a lot of people can't at this stage do that, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry that 
that that she's gone and that that happened. And it must also be really hard to know, like the guilt of not knowing how she went, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that that whole that all of that pain that you're dealing with in this really short time mm-hmm. since she passed. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I think I don't feel guilty about how she passed. It's clearly medical. There was no foul play. There were no drugs or alcohol. I feel bad Mm. that she didn't feel like she could reach out to me or anybody in our family for help. Now she, she lived, you know, 60, 70 miles away from most family. And so she wasn't close by and we had just seen her for Christmas and for Hanukkah. She was just at my house twice about two or three weeks, two weeks, two and three weeks before she passed. I just had seen her. We had just Mm. been together, but I, I just think if we had been closer, if we had had a tighter relationship, maybe she would have reached out and said, I feel like hell. Can you just come over? Can somebody come over? I don't know. I don't know. And I, I'm not going to live with regret, but I, I honored my regret and said it and wrote it and journaled it. And, you know, yeah, could I have done more? Could I have been closer to her? Could I have really, really encouraged her to move closer to family? Yes, but she's a grown woman too, and I can't control her decisions and what she wants and what she needs or what she felt like she needed to do. Um, so the grief is so mixed. It's it's that she's gone. She's gone so young. Uh, her life was so hard, and she never really in my opinion, got the healing that she was deserving of. And, Mm -hmm. and she was lived a more isolated life. Um, but she was well loved when, when we had our celebration of life, it was beautiful. What my siblings said, what everyone in her office said about her and, and, you know, other people along the way that reached out to me to tell me sweet stories of how she was so kind and so warm and so welcoming we should all be as warm and welcoming as my sister. She was so open and so kind. Well, I think the way that you're remembering her is the way that the the most amazing way that you can honor somebody. You're still in like the very beginning stages. And I think that what you've gone through in your life just shows other people like how to process things and what kind of strength you have as a human being, you know, there's no, there's really no guidebook on how to deal with loss. You know, people can say to you, you know, all kinds of things. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, how are you doing? I have a, one of my best friends going through more loss than anybody could ever imagine. And for one human being to bear in a lifetime, And I, you know, I don't even know the right things to say to her. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like once you've been struck by the things that you or I have been through in our lives, it doesn't mean we're experts and we know what to say. The best thing you can do is be kind and gentle to yourself Mm -hmm. and don't blame yourself. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so important I believe that we're all here for such a short period, but like, you know. A lot of times when people are struggling or suffering like that, they're free, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and I like to think about it that way, um, that maybe she's free and Mm -hmm. she's 
just with you and you just can't see her. Right. But she's, I always say they're in, they're in the next room. Mm, I like that. Um, Jess, it's so nice to talk to you. Um, I just think you're a wonderful human being and woman. And I love what you're doing with your life. And I am so sorry that you went, have been going through such a hard time as of late. But I just hope that people listen to this and are inspired by your story and maybe reach out because there are so many women that need the support, you know, of the, of whether their child's been diagnosed with something or just feel empty and alone. Motherhood in general is not easy. So I, I don't sometimes understand how my friends do it that have a child with special needs. It's, it's, and then have multiple kids to take care of on top of that. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But you rise up because you don't have a choice. You rise up. You don't have a choice. And these are your babies, right? And they were sent to you and, and, and you'll never know why. And this makes them even more special, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we just do it because we have to, and because we are infinite containers of love and compassion for our children and we'll do anything and everything for them. And it's hard. It's crazy. It's really Mm -hmm. the amount of help that we really need. We don't ask for, and the amount of help that we need is not accessible and available to most caregivers. And it's, it's a crime. It's a crime. We have to change things. We have to change policies. We have to, we have to, um, really advocate for change because, um, the, the statistics are not going to go down in terms of diagnoses and disabilities. It's just going to keep going up. And so we've got to take care of caregivers. It sounds like you're doing your part and obviously you're doing your part, but just to be able to support other people. It's so important. I know that like when I help somebody else, I feel like that's the thing in my life that makes me happy. And I'm guessing that makes you feel fulfilled and happy too. It does. It does. So it does. So I want to thank you again. Where can people find you on social media? So you can, my personal page on Instagram is at Jess Pate or for the organization, it's at We Are Brave Together. We also have a Facebook page for We Are Brave Together as well. And you can find Brave Together podcast on iTunes and Spotify and Amazon and Stitcher. And everything is on our website too. So if you just go to wearebravetogether.org, you'll be able to figure out where to follow us, where to get all the information and inspiration. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. Everyone, in closing... Thank you for listening today. I know maybe my beginning was not <laughs> the smoothest, but I, ha- I had to be honest. I had to be honest with what I'm going through. And I also close every podcast with be happy by making other people happy. And I believe that that's what you're doing. So keep going. Keep going, everyone. You matter. Thanks, Jess. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Mm-hmm.